I've met that I have great respect for, people who are consecrated, set apart to God, their heart is pure, they go from sunup to sundown praying, seeking God, serving, listening to the Holy Spirit, speaking into lives, truly caring, truly giving of their house, their time, their heart. Um, Paul Anderson is one of the best. And I'm, I'm proud to be discipled by this guy. He's really blessed my life. I've grown. I, I was like six foot, now I'm six, four and a half. I've really grown by being under this guy's leadership. And I would just like us to pray for him. Are you want to say something, Karen, first? Are we going to pray for you first? Go, go ahead and pray first, and then I'm okay. going to grab it from there. Okay. I'm going to grab the mic. Go, go ahead. Well, okay. I just wanted to say, uh, in the prayer time at 6.30, I, w- I mentioned the so that's in the Bible. It's what blesses me. Why would that be? So that. Like tonight, we've all received so much, haven't we? Already. Amen. And, and with, with the worship and just saying, thank you, Lord. And we're equipped so that we can go out. And yes, that's, that's probably what your sermon. So the, about the harvest. But I wanted to just say, Tonight I have a special guest, my niece from Kenya, Stand Up Reina. Her mom works for World Vision, World Vision in Kenya. And so she's come to the, uh, for the wedding and just to see relatives. We're just so happy. And also Carolina, who lives with us, her brothers came all the way from Ecuador. Freddie and Dago, we're so happy. And someone else just came back from Brazil. We're, all right. So uh, you can tell I love the world, and the world is here too, isn't it? It's just very exciting to what we heard last week at Communitas about uh, the opportunities we have to minister to people so that others might know. So is Chris here? Chris uh, uh, well, Chris, stand up. All the way from Greece, Crete, Crete. The Alexes, remember the Alexes, of course, Becca's dad. And Johanna's dad. Okay, so you pray. Okay, we're going to pray. We're going to tag team. Father God, we just thank you for the fire that is in these men, these men that you have set apart, Lord, to lead your people, to teach and equip and empower and inspire your people. Lord God, we thank you for the authority that you have given them to release life into the world, into the body. And I thank you for the fire that is burning right now, the fire of compassion, the fire of love that you have placed in them, the vision that you have given them to touch those, to bring the lost into your family, God. And we just ask that you would give them just peace and blessing and strength and power and revelation as they share your heart, your burden, Jesus, what you came here to purchase. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Bob. You're welcome. I appreciate you, Bob. I appreciate you, too. Yeah. And Bob does a lot of mentoring. Speaking of being mentored, you know that when you mentor people, then they are to pass it on and mentor others. So that's good. And some of you, about 50 of you, have signed up to be a part of a small group. <clears throat> and we're going to pray during August. Thank you, Car- Naomi. Uh, 
we're going to pray during the month of August on what this means and what it's going to look like because we're thinking that these groups are going to have an outward focus. Some groups have a good accountability, a discipling focus, and that's wonderful. What if that? What if we uh, put that together with a missional focus? And your group was reaching out to Somali Muslims, or Augsburg College, as a part of its focus. So think about it, pray about it. We're going to pray during the month of August, and you pray about uh, what. If there is a particular focus that God would give to you for this year, maybe inner city middle schoolers whom you could mentor along with Kathy Lou. Maybe it's a campus that you've been praying for and you want to see that campus impacted. We'd like to put together teams that would include Lydia House people, Harvest Project, Communitas. You may bring other people into that team. Maybe your mom and dad, for goodness sakes, might join in on that group and be a part of a, of a, of a mission thrust into a neighborhood, onto a campus, to Korean people or Indian Buddhists. So... There are the names right there. I put together an article a a few months ago. I passed it out a couple of times. I'm continuing to pass it out because the war against lust and porn is a winnable war. And I want you guys especially to be winning it. So take one of these. I I don't have enough for everybody, but uh, take one, pass it along, and read it, digest it, and receive from it because it just may change your life. I'm eating tomatoes. Who said that? It's coming. It's coming. Here it comes. But you get to eat it. Yeah, it's still good. You know how good tomatoes are that you grow yourself? These are first fruits of the harvest. I've been waiting and waiting. I've been working, pulling weeds, watering. You can see it if you go out. You go out. It's those tires on the left-hand side that you walk by if you come in that door. People say, what are those tires out there for? I say, it's a garden. <laughs> the harvest is what, that's the end result. It's, I'm eating the harvest. Now, if you think that's fun, what would it be like to harvest some Muslim brothers? What would it be like to harvest some inner city high school kids that don't have a dad, that don't have a future, and that you are a part of changing their life? Somebody said that harvest was fun. Would that be fun? Jesus was involved harvesting all the time. The disciples, he sent them away because he knew that they would distract him from what he was doing. So he sent them to get hamburgers while he talked to a Samaritan woman. And he said, when they came back, He said, lift up your eyes. And so I'm praying over the next weeks 
that you guys will lift up your eyes and you'll see what you haven't seen before. I pray that I'll see what I haven't seen before. And my heart will burn like Jesus for the harvest. Jesus is walking into Jericho. It says he's going through Jericho, passing through. It doesn't sound like he's going to stop. The end of chapter 19 of Luke, that starts chapter 19. The end of chapter 19, he's walking into Jerusalem. He's turning on the last leg, ready to go through the Judean wilderness, 18 miles up to Jerusalem. What could stop him from going to the cross? I'll tell you, a little rich guy whom the father speaks to him about gives him his name and he sees him as he's walking by and he calls him by his right name, not what other people call him, dirty, rotten tax collector. He said Zacchaeus. And a little bit later, Zacchaeus is repenting and saying, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. I don't know what they talked about. They probably talked about the kingdom. Half of my goods. Can you imagine Zacchaeus going to people in Jericho? And, and they're afraid because they see Zacchaeus coming up and they're thinking he's going to take our goods. And he's giving him fourfold. He's giving him money. And so mom says to dad when dad comes home from work, you know who came by today? Zacchaeus. That no, he came and he gave us four times what he what he owed us. Changed changed the town, didn't it? Okay, we got a friend that's going to be sharing this morning. Did you eat the tomato, Stephen? It was sweet, wasn't it? We got more of those. We got big ones. So maybe if you come over to our house, you get taste of the harvest. I hope you can get a little more taste as we have. Rick, come up and share with us. Rick Davis is a missionary. He was in Laos. He was in San Diego. He was in Des Moines. Now he's come up to Minneapolis because he said what I've heard many say about this Twin Cities, that so much is happening that he wants to be in a strategic place to launch more people into missions. So let's welcome Rick into our midst. Well, good evening. Uh, I actually just came to listen and uh, hear and see what God is doing here, and I've seen some of that. And then, and then Paul a few minutes ago asked me to speak. So, so uh, yeah, exactly. So I, I, I trust that uh, the Holy Spirit has something that He wants me to share with you. So let's just ask Him to speak to us, Father. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity to share tonight with this group and uh, knowing that your spirit is here, Lord. I want to be here and I want to share. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would speak through me and give whatever message uh, that you want these precious people to hear tonight. I want it to be heard. And uh, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Um, I was talking to Dan there, and he asked if he was a native Minnesotan. And he said he was, but he was born in Wisconsin. But he still claims Minnesota is a native. So then I asked him, are you a Vikings fan, right? No, he's not. So how many Vikings fans? 
Okay, I, I saw spring, you know, spring training and football or whatever camp, summer camps and all that. How many was how many Green Bay Packer fans? Okay, we got we got some of each. How many of you just like to watch football? Okay. How many of you have ever watched football? Okay. Good. Good. I, you know, I'm not a huge football fan, but I enjoy watching football, you know? Some of the things I enjoy about football is the long pass, you know? Like the guy's just running full speed, 30, 40, 50 yards, and he catches it. Just It's just time perfect. I'm like, how can the quarterback do that? Hit him on the run. Amazing, you know? Or to see a really good running back. Yeah, amen. That's right. You know? Incredible. And some of you might say this or that's my favorite part of football, but I bet one thing that you don't say is that my favorite part of the football game is when those giant men get in a circle and hold hands and just huddle. Oh, I love that part of the game. That's just exciting. Right? And what if, what if the Vikings got out there and they, they huddled up and and, and they discussed the play, and then they went and sat on the bench. And then they got up again, and, and it's next down, and they got up, and they huddled around, and they talked about the play, and then they went back, and they sat down. You'd say, well, that's pretty stupid. Get out and run the play. You've huddled. Now get out and run the play, right? I want to see some action. I want to see something happen. we got a pretty good huddle here tonight, don't we? A lot of people here tonight huddling. The question is, when we break huddle tonight, are you going to go out and run the play? Are you going to go out and run the play? And so um, with that thought in mind, I want to think about another group of men in the Bible who huddled up and received a play that they were to go out and run. It was already referenced tonight. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And, uh, you know, they were gathered around and Jesus is talking about things to come. And are you at this time going to restore the kingdom? And Jesus says, it's not for you to know the time or the days, whatever. But you go and wait, wait in Jerusalem, right? We heard that. You go and wait for Jerusalem because when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Three things from that verse I want to say to you tonight. One, he said, I want you to be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea. That was primarily a Jewish area. Those men were primarily going to find people like themselves. People in their world. First thing Jesus told us is that we need to reach the people in our world. Amen? Reach the people in our world. Uh, let's, look at, let's look at Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. Jesus was uh, crossing the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. And he gets there and he gets out of the boat. And who is he greeted by? A demon-possessed man, right? I mean, this guy is running around naked. They've tried to chain him, and he just breaks the chains loose. And he is uh, running and living in the cemeteries. 
and just out of control. And let's pick up the story uh, in verse 6. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him, and he shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, Send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those demons left that man, went into this herd of pigs, ran off the cliff and down and died. It was a case of suicide. <laughs> Sorry. All right. All right. Enough of that. Hey, I'm from Iowa, man. We pig farmers, right? Uh, I don't want any jokes. I hear Minnesotans joke about Iowans a lot. So, um. <laughs> you're right. That's why I'm in Minnesota. All right. Verse 14, those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town, in the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. Now look at this. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind. And what does it say? They were afraid. Now does that strike you as strange? Okay, this man had been demon-possessed. This man had been running around naked, chains unable to hold him, out of control, crazy. Yeah, that's normal, right? But now he's sitting clothed and in his right mind. The people are afraid. I think there's a pretty good lesson there for us. Is that people in our world are pretty comfortable with sin, but they get pretty convicted by change. And I wonder when you are with your friends, those unsaved friends, do they feel a little uncomfortable around you? Do they feel a little convicted by you? Just by your life, by the way you live, by the things that you do. So those that had seen it told the told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. That's hard to understand, isn't it? They, they wanted him to leave their region. I served in the country of Laos, and we were among an unreached people group called the Puan people. And uh, the Puan people had no church. Just a few Christians, four or five Christians living in, in, the, in the main city where the Puan people lived. Uh, they, were afraid, they weren't meeting together. They were afraid to meet together. They were afraid of the government. Laos is a communist country. They were afraid of persecution. They had made a decision for Christ, but they had no idea how to follow him. And so we moved into the city. 
There was a couple, Boon and Paiwan. Boon the husband, Paiwan the wife. And we wanted to, to teach them the Bible. We wanted to disciple them and teach them how to follow Christ. But we didn't want to ask them to get into a Bible study because being the foreigners and being the guests for the sake of saving face and honoring us, they would have said yes if we had asked them. So what did we do? We began to pray. God put within them a desire to want to know you, want to follow you. And we prayed that for a year as we continued to build a relationship with them. And then God answered our prayer, but in a way we didn't expect. Our whole team left Laos and went into Thailand for an annual conference. While we're gone, Boon Hung gets a call from a relative and says, our cousin is demon-possessed, common in Laos. And she has crawled up the wall and onto the ceiling, and she won't come down. And we don't know what to do. Well, Boon Hung came to each one of our team members' houses to look for us, the professional Christian, to take us. But we weren't home. Had we been home, we wouldn't have went. All right? We wouldn't have went. But we weren't home, so we'd have to deal with that. Not knowing what else to do, he went, him and his wife. As soon as he walked onto the property, she came down from the ceiling, from the wall, and came and knelt at his feet and said, these people have what I want. Knew that the, that the presence of God was in this couple. Well, needless to say, when we got back to town, Boon Hung of Paiwan came to tell us the story of what had happened and how they saw the power of God. And they said, can you teach us the Bible? We want to know everything we can know about God, about following Him. So our team leader began to meet with them. And after a few weeks, they said, man, this is really good stuff. I want to bring my mother to come hear this. Right? And what did the team leader say? No, you can't bring her. If you want her to know this stuff, you go teach her. You go teach her. In fact, why don't you gather your whole family together and the employees that work in your, your Photoshop, and why don't you gather them together and teach them the things that I'm teaching you? He began to do that. And he says, and then after a few weeks later, it's like, you know what? You have some extended family. Why don't you just gather them together? And any neighbors and friends that want to come. Long story short, there is now a Puan church established. First one ever among the Puan people. This girl that was demon possessed, when the rest of the family saw her delivered, guess what their response was? Leave. We don't want anything to do with you. They want the, his rest of his family, rest of that part of the family wanted nothing to do. They were afraid of what they saw. In San Diego, um, we were working in the Southeast Asian community, and there was there was a guy named Steve, Steve Chun. He was a Cambodian guy. His brother-in-law was really into some deep. Cambodian black magic, 
casting spells. And what 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 a, a part of the culture what they do is they have uh, they will take a fetus from a, from a, a pregnant lady, and they'll have in this jar, and it becomes like a personal demon, personal spirit that they that they cast spells through. And this guy had three of these in his closet. And he was teaching Steve how to do these things. And Steve was getting deeper and deeper into it. And as he did, one night he had a dream. And in his dream, demons were chasing him. And in this dream, he was running and running. And uh, he came to a set of stairs and he went up to the top of the stairs. When he got to the top of the stairs, there was this long row of shields and there was one shield with a white cross on it. And a voice told him to pick up the shield with the white cross. And so he did. And when he picked up that shield with the white cross, the demons fled. Right? So he wakes up. And he wants to know, what's this mean? Well, Steve was also a gangbanger in San Diego. And uh, one of his gang-banging friends was Pine. And I'm going to have Pine come up here in just a second and share. Pine was a former gang-banger, and Pine's dad was a shaman. And so Steve knew he trusted Pine because they had been homies, and he knew that Pine knew about the demons in the spirit world because of where Pine and how Pine had grown up. So he calls up Pine. thing was, he didn't know Pine had become a Christian, and now Pine was living with us. And uh, so when he calls up Pine, tell him the story, talking about the shield and stuff, where do you suppose Pine took him into the Word of God? Ephesians 6, the armor of God, right? Long story short, uh, we got into an evangelistic study. A few weeks later, Steve put his trust in Christ. Amen? And you know how it's a good evidence that somebody has gotten saved is they want to tell people right they want to share it and so steve says man what about my homies what about my homies i want them to know uh coc and omob crazy oriental crips and oriental mobster crips what about these guys it's like okay bring them together and we'll we'll meet them wherever you you pick the place we'll meet them and uh we'll study the bible together amen and so we got them together, and Pine, Pine and I show up, and we just started going from Genesis and just kind of chronologically through the Bible. Long story short, several weeks later, we baptized like six of those guys in the ocean in San Diego. Yeah. Amen? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he will give you power to be witnesses. Amen? So this, back in Mark 5, this demon-possessed man, verse 18, as Jesus was getting into the boat, they told him to leave. As Jesus was getting in the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Another good sign that somebody's a believer, that somebody's been truly saved, right? I want to be with Jesus. Amen? He wanted to go with him. But what did Jesus say? He did not let him. But what did he tell him? Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. 
So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, this ten city area, how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. And we know later when Jesus went back to that area, there were 5,000 men plus women and children that gathered to hear him speak. This man went back. Which reminds me of another story. Pine lived with us and another young man, a Laotian young guy named Tony, who was also a former gangbanger, lived with us. He's, uh came to Christ. Life changed. He's now a missionary in Southeast Asia, working to reach a people group called the So People. Tony came across a man among the So named Jintong. Jintong's daughter had died, young daughter, and he was very depressed. And as so many uh, tribal groups do, you know, um, playing with the spirits and those kinds of things, Jintong became demon-possessed and became a real danger to himself, to the village. He would live out in the jungles. He would come in at night, steal food, uh, and, and just became a real danger. And so the village people had no other uh, choice, but they built a cage out of bamboo and, and put Jintong in this cage to protect himself and protect them. Not sure who, but somebody had come out to vi- visit Jintong in that cage. And he said, I heard about this person called Jesus. Why don't you call out to him and ask him to deliver you from the spirit? And Jintong did. And the spirit left. And he was sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And as the, as the people from the village came out to visit, they realized that Jintong was a different man. And so they let him out of the cage and back with his family. And in the next few months, 20 more families among the So came to follow Jesus. Amen? This man didn't know a lot. Okay, He didn't know a lot, but he knew his own story. And he went and told his story. And he went and told his story. Pine has been uh, the prime example of somebody who, when they came to Christ and God changed him, he just went out to those people in his world and began telling his story. Pine, why don't you come up and just share a few words. Yeah, so, man, um, I just got to say thank you so much for having Rick and I. We, we just came wanting to be blessed and hear what God is doing, and, and now God is using us to bless you with some of our testimony and what God's put on Rick's heart. You know, earlier Rick was mentioning about uh, the illustration about being in a huddle, and how many of you here was born and raised in a, in a, in a Christian home? Can you raise your hands? Wow, a lot of you. Okay. And how many of you were not born and raised in a Christian home? Okay, good, good. Now, I was born and raised in a Buddhist animistic home. So growing up, uh, I didn't have any Bible stories. I didn't have no Bible songs. Matter of fact, I was volunteering at church this Sunday with the children's ministry, and they were singing like the B-I-B-L-E. And I, I didn't even know the songs, and I felt really embarrassed. And all these other kids, they, were, they knew the songs. And here's, the, here's Mr. Pine. Can't even, I'm like, oh, man. it was just. But anyways, the reason why I say that is because this growing up i'm pretty sure you've heard sermon after sermon after sermon and then i heard this uh this phrase that was really encouraging and i want to share it with you is um why do you need to continually be fed when you're not burning any calories 
and we're talking about spiritually being fed. So if, 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 if we were to put on some sort of spiritual glasses, I wonder how many of us here are spiritually obese and we're not really working out our faith. You know, like uh, some of us here in our youth, we have a high metabolism, but once you get maybe past 32 or maybe 28, maybe your metabolism is going down, but you got to work on being healthy the same way you got to work on being spiritually healthy. And we got to be more doers of the word than hearers of the word. And I've, I've, uh, accepted, I've accepted Christ when I was 18. I'm now 32. And every day I fight to say, Lord, I, I want to be radical. I want to do. I don't want to hear anymore because I know it so much. You can, you can put a three-point sermon on it. You can give me, uh, you know, like a great thesis. You can, you can give me great illustrations and illustrate, illustrate, illustrate. Man, am I, am I just gaining a lot of spiritual weight? So, like I said, I was born in a really Buddhist animistic home, so very spiritual growing up. Uh, very, very dark. Very dark. Very hopeless and um, just utter hopelessness. I've seen more bloodshed in my own family than in the gangs. One time my dad came home, he was really drunk. He took a phone. You know, the old school phones, the really heavy phones where you, the dial tones was like, like a checkerbox, whatever. I mean, I, I saw my dad pick up that phone and smash my mom over the eyebrow, just bashing her head in. And as a, as a young kid, I saw so much violence. So the house was very in, unstable. It was very uh, un, unsafe. So I would come home, and I would see my mom get beat. I would see my dad get drunk. It was just, it was just really uh, unhealthy. Now, because of that, I, I didn't have no role model. I didn't have no one. So growing up, I got involved in gangs. And then uh, started seeing more of the spiritual side. I spoke at my Bible college back in San Diego, and they had asked to speak on spiritual warfare. And one thing that I want to also share with you, too, is that there's two extremes to the spiritual realm here. One is to be oblivious to it, and one is to have an unhealthy view of it. For example, the ghost chasers. Like you could watch, you know, on TV, there's these ghost hunters. That's the unhealthy view of it and the last one is i mean the other you know as far as the pendulum swings the other side of the extreme is that you are oblivious to it but from what i'm but what from what i experienced praying upstairs you guys were praying spiritual warfare stuff right so if the church is like a medical tent and we're at war then why is everyone huddled in a medical tent when there is a battle going on outside the medical tent of the church and what that is is it's there's people that are lost. There's people living in darkness. So I was in, you know, there was a medical, there's a bunch of medical tents in my neighborhood. But there was, there was no one coming out to war to fight to win the war. But Rick and a couple other people did. They moved into my neighborhood, which was uh, East High San Diego. In that area, there's like a gang on a per block. And there was like a Mexican gangs, Asian gangs, uh, black gangs, all per block. And Rick moved into the neighborhood. And that is, that is biblical because when Christ came into the world, he came in the flesh. And in the message, paraphrase, it says he moved into the neighborhood. And see, if anybody didn't ever read that in the message, trans, uh, not translation, paraphrase, take a look at that. It says he moved into the neighborhood. So they moved into the neighborhood. And as a Buddhist animus, you're really respectful to other religions because Buddhism teaches that all religions are good. There's, there's, you don't want to have any type of strife or you, you want to be cool. So here I am, a gangster. I'm high off crystal meth. I'm in the middle. I'm in this apartment complex, and Rick and four other white guys walk into the apartment complex. So there's got to. This, this is something fishy, right? There's, there's four black guys. I mean, 
There's four white guys and one Asian guy walking into uh, this apartment complex. So one, they're either undercover cops, or two, they're here for drugs. <laughs> so this guy, Rick, he comes up to me. He starts talking to me. So you know, so what are you? Oh, I'm Cambodian. Okay, cool, Cambodian. I know some. I know some Khmer. So he started trying to get to know me and everything. And then I'm starting. I'm I'm becoming interested. I'm like, who are you? And and why are you here? So then I started asking him, who is he? Who are your friends? Why are you here? What are you doing here? And he goes, we're here in the community. We just want to know and love. So he didn't really mention Jesus much. Then they start inviting me to their house to play pool, you know. Uh, so you can just imagine we have, this is a big place. Maybe one, one, one campaign is like, we're going to get a bunch of pool tables in here and we're just going to invite as many gangsters or whatever. I don't know. Maybe that might be a bad choice because of the safety reasons. But anyways, they did that. <laughs> and, um, so I went over, I asked more questions. I'm like, what is the Trinity? What is the Holy Spirit? And then I started asking more and then I heard the gospel. And when I heard the gospel, it really, uh, it really, compelled me i was compelled by it i was really intrigued and i saw that now i accepted christ june 5th 1998 and then uh thank you it's so here's the thing you're clapping because it's a praise it is but when i accepted christ everything went downhill quick as an animist buddhist you know how we talk about Christians who are persecuted? Now, I wasn't being threatened with my life by the state or the city or whatever, but I was being threatened by other, by my gang friends, gang member friends. They wanted to break my leg. They wanted, they, I had friends who would tell me, Pine, don't walk down this alleyway because those guys are conspiring to break your kneecaps. This, this one time they actually got a hold of me and they took me to a lake. So they, they took me to a lake and I'm sitting on this bench and they come out with a baseball bat. And this guy, he was basically saying, you're a betrayer. But they knew that I was going to church. So I'm sitting on the bench and I'm telling him, and I, I tell him, Gak, you guys, you guys know where I stand. You guys know I'm a Christian now. Why would you want to break my legs? And then they, they, they didn't, they didn't go forward with it. Not only persecution for my friends, but also for my family. My dad many times would tell me to go bow down to the to the altar and to give respect to our teachers and the stuff. And I would tell my dad, no, I wouldn't. So, uh, again, things were going down so fast. I didn't got. I then went to juvenile hall for a crime that I didn't commit. So, so here I am. You know, this is a, pure dark, like darkness, hopelessness. Then I come to know Christ, and then things going downhill. Then I get put into a place. Where I didn't need to be. I was in jail for, for a max, for, for a crime that I didn't commit, maximum room confinement, 22 hours in a cell, but it was probably the most safest place that I could have been. Because God was protecting me. And there He was cultivating me. So when I came out, everything was taken care of. The gangs had forgot about me, and a family member, they're just glad that I'm out. But here's the thing, I had nowhere to go because my house was so unstable. My dad beat in my mom. She was fed up. She called the cops and he went to jail. During the 90s that time, they, they were implementing that three strike law, a three felony law. If you have three strikes, if you're a refugee, you get deported back. So then he went to INS, which is in immigration. And uh, my mom my mom ran away and the house was nowhere. So I moved in with Rick, uh, 19 years old. 
actually sorry, 18 years old, and they, they took me through homeschool. I didn't know my nouns and my verbs and prepositional phrases. So here I am, 18 years old. They homeschooled me enough. I mean, it, I did like fifth grade English and like eighth grade math, and it got me enough to uh, finish high school, okay? So I finished high school, and then they encouraged me to go to Bible college. So here I go to Bible college. Before going into your, to get your classes, you have to do an entry exam, right? I scored so low on all the exams, they put me with the international students. And I was so discouraged because I'm like, I can speak good English. I can write, I can write good sentences. Please let me out. So then I got out and there was an advisor there who really, who really just, just advocated for me. She goes, wow, you know how to speak Thai. You know how to speak Cambodian. You know how to speak Lao. You come from this, this background. You have this such a testimony. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta make you, we gotta help you. So my first year in Bible college, these were my classes. Golf, soccer, art. And I had no, like, con- like concrete, like, scholarly classes. I had golf and soccer. And then I was on, like, uh, what is that? Like, you know, when you get the alumni, not alumni, but you get the dean's list. You're on the dean's list. So it was nothing to brag about because I didn't do anything well. So I, I'm, I'm going to speed up so that way Rick can get back up here. But anyways, uh, I believe God uh, and Rick asked me to give my testimony. I believe I want to share this testimony with you because coming from that testimony, coming from that uh, upbringing and, and where I was at to where I am at now, I, I want to encourage you that when you get out of college and as you are growing in your faith, you you got to be more doers of the word. Now, when I be, when I was growing more in the faith, and then when I got out of Bible college, I started doing ministry. I started doing ministry so much that it affected a lot of the way I thought because I became Christian. Like, the terms that I was using were Christianese, and uh, the, remember how the, the pendulum swung? I went from dark to light, and then eventually I just stayed over here. And I didn't want to go back to the dark because I, in a way, I, I, I almost didn't know how to operate. And here I am. That was like my streets. That was what I knew. But then because I love God so much and like the huddle, right, and or the medical tent, you kind of like, I don't want to go back out there. It's messy. But then when I did go out there, I'll give you an example. Um, when I got out of Bible college, just wanted to do more for Christ. And then I got this job at Sony PlayStation. I tested video games for a living, okay? Yeah, and I got a... I, so here's the guy with a Bible degree, but I, I work at Sony PlayStation. But when I, every day I went to work, I was so gung-ho about winning people over to Christ. So I would go to work, but instead get into debates. I would go and get into debates with people. And people would debate with me and use um, cultural slang. And, and here I am, I'm like... Man, I'm, I'm using too much Christianese. So this one time I actually got on my knees and I told this guy, I'm like, do you really believe you came from a monkey? Like, this is at work in, in a public place. I'm on my knees begging this guy in front of like 20 other guys. So, so then I started, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm not going to win anybody over like this. This is way too extreme. This is crazy. So then God really brought me back to my roots. And then God really used me to to be strategic in reaching my friends in the secular realm at work. And so uh, from from ways of, of, you know how you build bridges to talk to people, right? So some people like 
like I, I didn't like anything about football. But because I wanted to reach out to them, I started playing fantasy football. <laughs> and then after that, once I got to know them, I got rid of fantasy football. Because I already built that bridge to work through them. So, again, in the Twin Cities, you have a lot of people here. How you, de- how you determine or decide to build these bridges with them, build that bridge, but don't, 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 um, don't count on the results to be like fruitful. It was just a bridge to get over because God might use you to go deeper into someone's lives. So I believe that's what God wants me to share with you. Again, I mean, we're pressed on time and I would love to share more about all the, the journey and why, why Rick and I are here in Minneapolis because I'm from originally from San Diego. Rick's from, you know, he went to Laos, he's from Iowa. So why are we here? That might be another time, but we're pressed on it. Thank you. Okay. Um, uh, so, first thing, reach those people in your world. That's where that's God has placed you, where He wants you. Reach those people in your world. The play that Jesus gave those men in that huddle that day were not only Jerusalem and Judea, those people that were like them nearby, but He also told them to reach Samaria. Um. Those are the people that were nearby but not like them. Turn to John chapter 4. We, we made mention of this a little bit ago, but I just want to talk about what happened in Samaria one day as Jesus and his disciples were traveling. John chapter 4. It says, The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Okay? So he left Judea and he went back to Galilee. Now look at verse 4. Now he had to go through Samaria. Okay? Now, if you have a Bible that has maps in the back, turn to the back of your Bible. Find a map that uh, has something to do with uh, Jesus in the time of, you know, something to, um, a map from the, the time of Jesus' ministry. And if you find that, you'll see Judea, and then up north you'll see Galilee, and you see in between Judea and Galilee, you see Samaria. Okay? So if Jesus is going from Judea to Galilee, why on earth does the Word of God say He had to go through Samaria? You you don't have to study mapology in college or whatever it's called to know that, okay, if I'm going to Judea to Galilee, of course I go through Samaria. But something important for us to understand is in this day, the Jews, would, when they would go from Judea to Galilee and back, they would actually cross over the Jordan River and cross on the other side to avoid Samaria because the people in Samaria were different, culturally, ethnically different. And so they avoided Samaria. And that gives us a little bit of insight to verse 4 when it says, no, Jesus had to go through Samaria. Now, I haven't been in Minneapolis a long time, but I know that Minneapolis has its Samarias. Amen? I live in Samaria, Phillips neighborhood. Yeah? And uh, there's a lot of people who don't 
Christians, white Christians who won't go to that area, right? I don't want to be there. I don't want to, I don't want to associate. I, I, I'm scared. I'm fearful. But Jesus says, no, I have to go to Samaria. I remember the first time, the first time I crossed into Samaria. Okay? In case you didn't know, I'm white. And that's because my parents were white. And I grew up in a state of Iowa, which is 97% white. Okay? Are you from Iowa? You're just clapping. Okay. Are you from Iowa? Really? Where at? Osage. All right. Oh, yeah, where from? Cedar Rapids. All right, Iowans. So I grew up in this state that's 97% white. I went, I, I grew up in a white home, white family. I went to an all white church. I went to an all white Christian school. And when I graduated from my all white Christian school, I went to an all white Bible college. And the thing is, I didn't even realize that was just normal. That's just what I did. That, that seemed normal. And, uh, it was while I was in Bible college. I went to Bible College in Iowa a couple years, and I transferred out in the Chicago area, and I came home to do an internship in 1985. And they told me, uh, well, there was this guy in, this, in, in the church that I, I was doing the internship at, and he wanted him to start an inner city ministry. Now, Des Moines has an inner city. It's just not as big as some inner cities, but it is an inner city. And uh, he, he wanted him to start an inner city ministry, right? And so I think what happened was they thought they didn't really want to do it because it was an all-white church, an all-comfortable church. But to keep this guy quiet and to give this young intern something to do, they told me to go to the inner city and start a ministry. So the idea that I came up with was, and I'd been doing some bus ministry. Anybody ever, you know about bus ministry? You, you take buses out in the neighborhood and you pick up kids on a bus, you bring them into church, right? Well, this church had a bus ministry and they brought kids in the morning. But this church was where I'd actually graduated from Christian high school. And so we had all kinds of classrooms and gym and everything. And that building sat empty all afternoon. So I said, okay, we'll take these buses, we'll go into the city, and we'll bring kids in in the afternoon when the church is empty. So I went over to Sixon University there in Des Moines. Now, growing up in Des Moines, I knew Sixth and, Uni- Sixth and University, do you know Sixth and University? It's just like Drake is right up the road. Drake is just beyond to the good part, right? And, well, I don't know. It's kind of growing up around Drake, isn't it? Yeah, it's the border. Exactly. So I went to Sixth University. Now, growing up my whole life, I've been told, don't go to Sixth University because black people are going to pull you out of a car and beat you up. <laughs> right? That's what I was told. And so that's what I believed. And so I went over that day, and the pastor who was overseeing me sent his teenage son with me, and we went to knock on doors. How many of you ever went door knocking? Yeah. All right. Knock on that first door. Wait, wait. Nobody answered. <laughs> Problem is I can't stop there, right? I got to go on. Took to the third door before somebody answered. No, I'm scared to death, right? I don't know what's going to happen. This girl comes to the door, okay? Now, she's dark, but she's not an African-American. So I'm like, what's your name? My name's Tiffany. Where are you from, Tiffany? She said, I'm from Cambodia. So my next question is, where's Cambodia. And what are you doing in Des Moines, Iowa? You see, I had no idea that Des Moines was filling up with refugees from the Vietnam War. I had no idea because I avoided Samaria because that's the way I was taught. And so, make a long story short, at the end of that summer, 
we had 400 kids coming on buses. And majority were Southeast Asian refugees. Lao, Cambodian, Vietnamese, and Hmong. And I fell in love with the people from Southeast Asia. And it was all because of that exposure. Okay? So not only do you need to reach the people in your world, you need to dare to go beyond your world. Cross over into Samaria. Amen. So Jesus said he had to go through Samaria. He goes into Samaria and he comes to the well. Okay? And the disciples have gone into town to get food, right? Jesus is at the well and he does an amazing thing. He speaks to this Samaritan woman and he asks her for a drink. Now that's amazing for a couple of reasons. One, in that culture, men didn't talk to women and especially a Jewish man talking to a Samaritan of any sex, but especially a Jewish man talking to a Samaritan woman and asking her for a drink. It's not like Jesus carried his cup with him everywhere he went. So he was going to actually drink out of the cup or vessel of a Samaritan. He was crossing racial barriers. He was crossing cultural barriers to engage this lady in Samaria. They get into a talk and he says, she says, how can you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan, for a drink? And he says, oh, if you knew who was asking you, I, I could give you water and you'd never thirst again. And so they get into this dialogue, right? And eventually he tells her things about herself that nobody knows. And she gets so excited, she runs back to town to tell everybody, come see this man who told me everything I ever did, right? As she's running back to town, from the well back into town, the disciples are coming out to the well with the food that they'd gone into town to buy. So as they're walking in, they see Jesus and this woman have, from a distance, they see Jesus and this woman having this conversation. And in fact, I think probably they passed each other as the woman goes back to town and as the disciples come to Jesus and they say, here, eat something. And he says, you have... I have food that you know nothing about. What? Somebody fed him? What? They were thinking so material. They were not thinking spiritual. They were people blind. And so this woman goes into town, tells the Samaritans, they drop what they're doing and they start coming out to the well, right? And so Jesus says, don't say four more months and then the harvest. I tell you, what do you say? Open your eyes. And when he says that, I can just see him. He's pointing his finger at all the Samaritans that are coming his way. And he says, open your eyes and look at the fields. They're walking towards us. They're right here. They're right under your nose. And you've been avoiding them. And I've heard a lot of talk about this group, and that's the direction you're moving. Amen? Lord, open our eyes and help us to see the fields that are right here in Minneapolis. People that are coming from countries that are close to the gospel, that are very difficult to get in. And you don't have to cross the ocean. You just have to cross the street. Just get in your car, drive a few minutes, and you can engage. 
the people of Samaria. Amen. Go to my third point. All right. So reach those people in your world, those people that are like you, close by in your world. Reach those people that are close by but not like you. Dare to reach beyond your world. And third, let's reach the whole world. Right? He said, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. How many countries are in the world today? I know it changes a lot <laughs> with all the fighting and everything going on, but I don't know. Let's just say somewhere around 200, give or take, right? Anybody Anybody like a geography whiz? Okay, so you can believe me then. Okay, <laughs> around 200. How many people groups in the world today? According to Joshua Project, anybody familiar with Joshua Project? Okay, if you go to joshuaproject.net, according to Joshua Project, there's over 16,000 people groups in the world today. And according to Joshua Project, 7,000 of those, well, first of all, what's a people group? How do we define a people group? Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, the, the way, the way, maybe we, for missions purposes, the way we define a people group is the largest group of people through which the gospel can, can spread as a church planting movement without encountering, uh, hindrances, barriers of understanding and acceptance. Okay? So, I told you about the Puin church that we saw planted. Well, in that same city, in that same province, Another major people group in that province are the Hmong people. Anybody know any Hmong people? Okay. A lot of, a lot of Hmong people. In fact, the largest Hmong population in America. Hmong people, the first Hmong church actually was planted about 60 years ago in that same province, in that same area. But the Hmong are a completely different people group than the Puan. And the gospel never jumped. It never jumped from the Hmong it didn't spread naturally. In fact, I often use this illustration. The world is like a waffle, not a pancake. Okay? No, what does that mean? This is real, this is real technical mission, missionology, okay? Um, you take a pancake and you pour syrup on it, the syrup runs evenly over the pancake, right? Okay? If we pour the, go- the gospel into the country of Laos, it won't just spread. There's 146 different people groups in the country of Laos. So Laos is more like a waffle, you know, and if you want syrup, you got to go into every pocket and pour your syrup into every single pocket, right? So every one of those people groups needs a different strategy. They all have different culture, different worldview, different language. They have different barriers to the gospel. They need their own strategy and way of reaching them. And that's just a country of life. So 16,000 people groups in the world, over 7,000 of those have are what we considered unreached. They either have no Christians or not enough Christians and resources to evangelize their own people, and they need outside cross-cultural assistance. And 3,000 of those are not only unreached, they're what we call unengaged. That means there's no missionaries living among them. That means people are being born, 
live their whole life and die in that people group and never hearing the name of Jesus. Never hearing the name of Jesus. Last November I took, we planted a loud church in, in Des Moines back in 1987. And that church is still there, and I took five young adults from that church with me to a vision trip to Laos. One of the girls that went with us is a student at Iowa State. She, she lived in Vieng Chan, Laos, the capital city, until she was 14, came to America. She never heard the name of Jesus until she came to America. She is not some tribal person out in the jungles of Africa or the jungles of Southeast Asia. She grew up in the capital city, drove a car, wore designer clothes, at least knockoffs anyway, um, you know, uh, grew up watching TV, connected to the outside world, never heard of Jesus until she came to America. My wife led the Lord a couple years ago. We're back there, and we're in, this, we're in the, the, the main Buddhist temple there in Vieng Chan, Wat Simung, and watching the people bow and pray and offer sacrifices and things, and I'm talking to Katai, and, I, and Katai says, I used to come here. I used to come here and pray all the time. And she said, But when I came here to pray, she said, I had never heard the name of Jesus. I said, now that you know Jesus and you're here in this temple and watching this, what what, what comes to your mind? And she just said, how pointless, how empty. She's engaged in her and her fiance want to go back to Laos as missionaries, this Lao couple. Amen. That vision trip, they saw, they were moved. Now, let me just close with this. Turn to Romans 15. So many missions appeals are man-centered and guilt-driven. And that's the last thing I want to do. I want you to think about it's a two-sided coin. One side of the coin is compassion. It's a compassion for the lost. And we throw out these numbers and we talk about the, the millions and even billions who don't know Jesus. But the other side of that coin of compassion is passion. It's a passion for Jesus. It's a passion for God and for his glory. Paul wrote a letter to the to church in Rome. And he was on his way to Spain to take the gospel. And the whole reason that he wrote... This letter was to mobilize the church in Rome to help him take the gospel to Spain. All right? That's the whole reason. He, he says, I, I, I hope to come and see you and have you assist me in taking the gospel to Spain, to people who have never heard of Jesus. And that's why he spends so many chapters in Romans talking so clearly about what happens to those who have never heard. How can they call on somebody they have not believed in? How can they believe somebody they've never heard of, right? And he spends so much time talking about salvation and, and the gospel and, and what's going to happen to people who have never heard. And he does that because it's a missionary letter and he's letting people listen. Those that have never heard of Jesus are going to die and go to hell. And I want you to help me take the gospel to Spain. And here's why. Look at verse 15. He says, I've written you quite boldly on some points, okay, as if to remind you of them again. Because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. Okay, that word Gentiles is that word ethnos. 
ethnicity, ethnic groups, people groups. You could put the word people group in there. It would mean the same thing as that word Gentiles. So he says, he has called me to proclaim the gospel to, to, to people groups, the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that, why? So that the Gentiles, that the people groups might become an offering acceptable to God. My primary motive of taking the gospel to Spain is that I might gather worshipers for God. A compassion for the lostness of man will get you dabbling in missions, but a passion for His glory is what will sustain you. And Paul said, my primary motive The reason that I go to preach the gospel to places where Christ is not named is I might gather worshipers for Him. That's the goal. Someday, stand before God in heaven with every tribe, language, tongue, and nation worshiping the Father. I want to say, God, I gave my life to gathering Somali worshipers. God, I gave my life to gathering Cambodian worshipers. God, I gave my life to gathering Laotian worshipers. What a day that'll be when people from every tribe, language, tongue, and nation. And I can't help but think that it won't be quite as joyous for those who are not living their life for that day. I want to live for his story. Amen. Anything touched you as you heard tonight? Anything grabbed onto your soul? Anything touched you enough? Do you think it'll create a difference? Anybody? I trust it has. I trust it has for me. I trust it has for you. That something about the the harvest is going to over the next days, weeks, months going to change the way you live. That's my prayer for me. That's my prayer for you. That it will change the way we live. Change the way we do business. Change the way we spend our nights, our weekends. And that we'll have a nursery here. Not because we have babies from marriages like Aaron with Ben and Sarah but because we have a lot of babies, people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Wouldn't that be exciting? That would be a harvest that we could taste of. Or that they don't come here, we go there, and we plant the church in Phillips or plant the church in East St. Paul. So I'm going to ask you to stand. It's clear from uh, what Rick has been sharing that God's given him a vision, probably given him a gift of evangelism, given him a heart for lost people. I want that heart. Anybody here want that kind of heart? You know, I don't want to work. I don't want to. I want it to be so natural that it flows out of me like it flowed out of Jesus. And so I'm going to ask him to pray for us. And I want you to put your hand on your heart if that's what you want. If you really want God to to change you, if you want to have that kind of heart that he will touch you and that it will be common for us to see us bringing people here where we've crossed the line, 
We've gone to our Samaria, wherever that is. And we have built relationships where we've shown compassion to other people and uh, led them into faith in Jesus Christ. So Rick's going to pray for us for an impact from what he has shared tonight. Go ahead, Rick. Father, um, I thank you for everyone that is in this room tonight. I thank you, God, for the prayers I've heard, um, for the spirit that exists among these people. And God, I want to ask you tonight, Lord, the phrase that keeps coming to my mind is for the sake of your name. Mm-hmm. Over and over and over again, everything that you have done through, throughout history has been for the sake of your name. It's for the sake of your name. And God, I pray for the sake of your name that, that a, a passion for your glory will just overtake the people in this room. A passion for your glory to cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. A passion for your name to be made great among the nations. Malachi 1.11 God, that we might be still and know that you are God and that your name will be made great among the nations as the rest of that verse says. God, that this place, for the sake of your name, may be a place of prayer. We talked about prayer tonight and wanting the prayer service to be the main service. And God, you said my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. God, for the sake of your name, may this become a place of prayer for all nations. God, for the sake of your name, may everyone in this room go out as laborers. In their world, beyond their world. And God, I pray, God, that there are young people in this room that have their life. And I pray that there are are many in this room, God, that you would call out of this group. That's right. And they would move into another people group on the other side of the world. And they would give their life to gathering worshipers. From among the Akha, the Lantan, the Somalis, the Berbers, the whatever people group it might be. God, I pray for the sake of your name that, that what you are doing here will spread across the globe. Grant it, God. And worshipers will be gathered in your name. Grant it, God. God, all of history is moving toward that one day mm-hmm. when we all, people from every tribe, language, tongue, and nation are worshiping around the throne, people mm-hmm. that your blood has purchased mm-hmm. their salvation. God, I pray that everyone in this room will be living for that day. Indeed. I ask this for the sake of your name, Jesus. Amen. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask Rick and Pine if they would stay up here. And if you desire prayer from them, I'll have the prayer team come up. Now, what I want you to do, I want you to turn to someone next to you. And I want you to pray for something for them related to this evening. 
what it looks like tonight is going to look like over the next couple of weeks. For the most part, we're going to we're going to keep bring, coming back to this theme of the harvest until God really touches us at a deep level and we're living that. I'd recommend that you start coming at 6:30 instead of 7:30. Now, I know that many of you can't come at that time. You get here as soon as you can. But I believe that we turned a corner tonight and we're going to see 6:30 become the main service. And this is going to be the outflow of the prayers that we offer because Jesus said, "The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few." And then what does he say? Pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. So our first response to what we hear is, I'm going to be a person of prayer. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for change in my neighborhood, in my family, with my parents, with my siblings, with my cousins, with my neighborhood. Then I'm going to cross that barrier, and I'm going to go beyond. I'm going to keep going. So something that God touched you with, you, you uh, turn into a prayer now. Turn to someone next to you. Go ahead. Turn right now. Find somebody next to you. And pray with them something from tonight.